Our scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 104, verses 1 through 13 and 19 through 33. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God. You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal. The wild asses quench their thirst. By the streams, the birds of the air have their habitation. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Then to verse 19. You have made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the animals of the forest come creeping out. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. People go out to their work and to their labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there. Living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Then our second scripture reading comes from Psalm 65, verses 1 and 2 and 7 and 8 the word of God. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who answer prayer, to you all flesh shall come. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening. Shout for joy. It's not my intention to 
challenge or reinforce your spiritual beliefs. It is nothing. It is nothing more or less than my attempt to explain my spiritual journey. So take it, please, in, in that context. So with that, let me uh, tell you a little bit about where it began. I grew up in South Alabama, in the South. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, my family were extremely religious folks. Uh, in the Southern Baptist church where I was raised, uh, the Bible was the word of God. Now, we didn't consider ourselves fundamentalists. We reserve fundamentalists for those folks outside of town that did the snake handling and that sort of thing. But there was uh, an unquestioning commitment to the Bible as the word of God. And given my early interest in science, I had a lot of questions. And that church, that community, uh, was not particularly open and welcoming to questions. To question. To question was to express a failure in faith. And faith was the responsibility of every good Christian to maintain and to acknowledge some question was to confess to a weakness in your belief system. So time passes on. Uh, I have a college to pursue a degree in engineering. And I left the church behind. And for the next 45 years, I worked in the areas of science and technology, space exploration. And here I am today. So we'll come back to my story in a moment. So in the 14 and 15, 1600s, the church was an extremely powerful institution. It was the center of learning. And the church was highly vested in an earth-centered concept of the universe. Now, they went all the way back to Aristotle in 400 BC for this concept, but nevertheless, it seemed to work well for the church in that period. And this is a diagram showing that earth-centered idea of the solar system. And in that system, there were a series of spheres with the earth at the center, the moon circled in a sphere, the planets circled in their spheres. The sun circled the earth in its sphere. Which, by the way, played rather nicely with the notion of Joshua and the sun standing still. Right? The earth didn't stand still. The sun stood still as it was orbiting the earth. And in this earth-centric model, there were ever higher levels of perfection as one moved further and further from the earth to the point that we 
reached the outer spheres, which were occupied by God and the angels. And so with this model of the world, when folks like Copernicus, who by the way was an official in the church, came up with this notion that, you know, maybe there's a different explanation for how all of this works, namely a system whereby, as we know today, the planets orbit the sun, the church had a very negative reaction to that proclamation because it challenged the fundamental authority of the church. And it was the church's view that one chink in the armor could propagate and cause great problems for the church. And so Copernicus was condemned, charged with heresy. Time marches on. Uh, another astronomer, actually Bruno, was uh, burned at the stake for supporting this uh, vision of the universe. And then we all know that Galileo in the late and the early 1600s in supporting this view and providing other ideas about the solar system uh, was charged with heresy. He was convicted and imprisoned for the latter days of his life. So that didn't set the stage for a warm and fuzzy relationship between science and the church. There's one other example I want to show you. Can I have my assistants uh, come forward? And I only have 15 minutes, so you have to do this with dispatch. Another, another area of, uh, another area of controversy had to do with the age of the earth. It turns out that in about the same time frame, there was an Archbishop Husser who studied the scripture and concluded that this was the proper chronology for the earth. Now, this is very interesting, by the way. It, I'd suggest you come up after the service and take a look at it. But Usser concluded that, that the universe began in 4004 BC, and specifically, creation was on Sunday, 23rd of October. So we see creation, we see Adam and Eve and their bloodline. Adam and Eve, he concluded, were driven from paradise on Monday, 10 November of 4004. And further in time, the ark touched down on Ararat, Mount Ararat, on Wednesday, 5 May, 2348. So, and the church adopted this view of history. So, thank you very much. You may, uh, you may refold the map. <laughs> and as, as most of you know, modern science uh, 
indicates that the age of the universe is something like 13.7 billion years, which is it's somewhat at odds with this, with this early view. Today, controversies are not so much in this area, or although you read in the news of there being certain camps that challenge aspects of what I've just said. Uh, but certainly in the area of evolution, there remain conflicts between science and religion. Um, in the area of human cloning, in the area of artificial life, and where is the beginning, what is the beginning of life. Uh, so conflicts continue. So let me, let me make a couple of observations from my point of view. In my view, science and religion are, are fundamentally different intellectual pursuits. Unlike religion, good science, not all science, good science, is based on proof, challenge, and change. Proof, challenge, and change. When scientists come up with a new idea about the way things work, they are required to provide proof, experiments that demonstrate the truth of, of the claim. It is based upon challenge. All scientific claims are subjected to peer review by the community. Folks say that can't be so. We want to repeat the experiment. We want to ask additional questions. So proof, challenge, and once a new idea survives that process, the current science models are changed to adopt it. Now, in my mind, there are some fundamental differences in that approach to what is often the approach in many religions. And I think therein lies the conflict. Now, and another point, unlike religion, science is, I'll use the term, amoral. It's neutral. Uh, the only thing you really hear about with regard to ethics in science has to do with fudging the results or plagiarism. It's, it's it does not address the issues of is this an ethical course of behavior? Is the use of this technology ethical? That's somebody else's problem, all right? And it should be, I submit, the problem of ethics and religion and theology to address those sorts of issues. In my simple mind, the evolution of, of religion uh, started with our ancestors who were amazed by natural phenomena who were amazed by the power of the ocean, who were amazed by storms, uh, lightning, uh, things over which they had no control, things they did not 
understand. And early religions were built around explanations for, for those kinds of things. Now, science has come along and explained a lot about natural phenomena. And some see that as, as a core threat to religion. But I don't. From my perspective, Science, while explaining the th sort of things that I've been talking about, has done so at the expense of adding incredible complexity to our understanding of the universe, incredible mystery to how things work. And, and hence, there still remains if not more so, mystery in how we, how we view our world. Examples. This is a graphic that takes the modern notion of the age of the universe, 13.7 billion years, and says, okay, let's imagine we compressed it into one year. And in one year, the bang would have occurred, big bang, right? Would have occurred 12 months ago. First generations of stars began shortly thereafter. Stars, our sun, have a life cycle. They are born, they die, they explode, they spread dust throughout the universe. That dust reassembles into a next generation star. Our sun is thought to be a third generation star. So. Time marches on, and only four months ago, our sun was formed, the sun that we know and love. Micro-life is thought to have originated shortly thereafter. Animal fossils indicate that the first animals came into being in about 15 months. I'll have to check that. Mammals only occurred during the last six days last six days, and Homo sapiens during the last four minutes. So that puts into perspective man's impact, man's role on, on, on time, in time on our, in the universe. Now this is another uh, picture that I consider amazing. This is a picture taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. And in this beautiful picture, the Hubble tel Telescope was directed at the blackest, most uninteresting part of the sky. And long duration exposures were made. And the, think, the, the belief is that this is at a distance in the neighborhood of 13 billion light years, so it's getting out to the very edge of the universe. So not only do we see more stuff, more beautiful stuff, we're not seeing stars, we're seeing galaxies. These are collections of hundreds of billions of stars in clusters out at, at those sorts of distances. Mystery. 
the best models of explaining how the universe works, there's a little problem. 95% of the matter required to provide the gravitational attraction that explains the motions of galaxies uh, seems to be missing. It's missing. Current theories classify some portion of this 95% as dark energy. Scientists don't know really what that is. And dark matter. Oh, dear. Can I have a few more minutes? This is a, this is a kind audience. If it, hadn't, if it hadn't been for that sound engineer, see? So, in the, so let me do something here. You, you, you people are, are wonderful. So as I finish this little talk, those of you that are bored to tears can look at the pretty pictures, okay? These are, these are additional Hubble telescope photos. So let me go back to the beginning. Uh, I thought of a subtitle for this little talk, you know, it's what's a guy like you doing at a place like this, right? And some would jump to the conclusion that my wife, Sharon here, is responsible. That was your suggestion, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and there is truth in that. That's, she's played a large role, but, but that's not the total story. Um, for me, there is sufficient mystery in the universe that I couldn't be an atheist, and I'm not. Um, in dealing with life, science does me no good in terms of helping me decide how to live a fulfilling life. Life, science has nothing to offer in terms of, of telling me how I should behave in, in dealing with my fellow man. For me, Christianity is exceptional in answering those questions. Christianity, the teachings of Jesus, is exceptional in setting a model, a goal for behavior. Difficult to achieve, yes, but in terms of leading a, a full life a fu and a fulfilling life and an ethical life. Why NCC? As any of you that, that, that have been at NCC for some period of time know, this is a special place. And I found that to be the case how many years ago when we came here? 15 years ago when we came to this church. And by the way, the first person I met is Buckner Coe. 
And we are just delighted to have Buck with us. I'm delighted to have Buck Coe with us here today. And it was apparent immediately that this was a different kind of church. Uh, there, was, there was Buck Coe, there was John Atkinson. Thinking people who were comfortable in a church environment. And I found this to be a, a comfortable place for me to continue on, on my spiritual path where questioning is not condemned, where thoughtful people are on similar spiritual journeys. And by association with these people, I believe that, that we all benefit. There is a... NCC vision statement that I like. It says, NCC provides a sanctuary for individual and communal spiritual growth guided by the teachings of Jesus with an opening openness to all spiritual paths and all people who seek to know God in the hope of transforming the world. And that's something that, that appeals to me. And then finally, it's a place where, at a personal level, through the music, like today, or through the message, I experience these flashes, can't explain it scientifically, of, of spiritual insight that, that says, you know, there's really something bigger out there. There is really a better way to lead your life. And that's a good thing. So, I'd like to close with just a couple of uh, quotations that appeal to me. Kepler, in the 1600s, I had the intention of becoming a theologian, but now I see how God is, by my endeavors, also glorified in astronomy, for the heavens declare the glory of God. Pasteur, the more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the Creator. Science brings men nearer to God. And finally, Buck Coe, who gave a talk on a related subject. And so for me, the God to which the Bible directed our attention and the God of infinite spaces and a plurality of worlds were one. For me, also, the entire universe, not only the Bible, was the book of the ways of God, and thus also to be studied for clues to God's nature. Thank you. <laughs>